0: Hello, and welcome to The Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph.
1: And I'm Ashley Wakefield.
0: And we're here to take you on a journey through the boring parts of your Bible, books that you just couldn't finish when you tried to read them. Together, I hope we'll get to see some of the hidden beauty in these books, and maybe afterwards, you'll love them too. But if not, that's okay. You will still get to tell your friends you got through them and have full bragging rights to your pastor. Just don't let it go to your head. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode in the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I've got with me in the studio, Ashley Wakefield. Hello. Hey, welcome back, Ashley. How you been this week?
1: Good, good. It's been a really good week. I had a really awesome but very busy Fourth of July weekend. So.
0: Ooh, did you do fireworks or anything like that?
1: Well, I didn't do it. What I did was I went to Liberty Park to watch fireworks. I think that was on Sunday night Mm because that was the day that I went to um, a birthday party for um, a (laughs) one-year-old, basically, when my family Mm -hmm. came into town because his baby was having her very I guess technically her yeah her first birthday party so I went to that and then after that I went to Liberty Park and my family members and I we we got invited unexpectedly I think it was Monday night like I think it was like at 9 30 or 10 o'clock at night we got invited to go to their house to go watch fireworks and it was actually really interesting because they didn't have the little fireworks they have the huge ones that like burst in the air so they were like big boxes of it and yeah. it was just like it was called like venom and toxic and all that kind of stuff yep, like yep. crazy stuff but it was funny and kind of scary because they lit the firework one of the fireworks and i don't know what happened but it ended up tilting over and so the fireworks started shooting in our direction we just went running in different oh, directions sounds And sounds safe <laughs> yeah so we got freaked out about that so we didn't use that particular firework anymore but we used the other ones and i went to a fair and bought food and Brought some food back to a friend's house, to a family friend's house, and we all ate with my mom, and it was just, it was a lot going on that weekend.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Sounds like a very eventful week. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I spent 4th of July cooped up in a room working on uh, some computers here at the college and trying to install Windows 10 the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> you were being productive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I made a lot of money on it, so I was, yeah. I, I was very happy about it. But, yeah, there uh, you go. Typical me. I work on a holiday, but... Uh, you didn't hear to talk about our lives. What are you here for? You're here for the Bible. All right, so let's let's get into what we've been doing. We've been going through the book of Isaiah, chapter by chapter, and we are now at chapter 50. I was telling some people earlier that um, we're only 16 chapters away from being finished in this whole... Monumental work, honestly. I mean, I don't want to... Uh, it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn saying uh, monumental work. But, you know, it's, it's <laughs> been a long undertaking. I started this with you, what, like almost a year ago now, I think. And really? Yeah. It's been that long? I think it's been a year since you... Because, like, we're at Chapter 50 and you came on on Episode 15, I remember. So you've been on for 35? Wow. So, so it hasn't been a year. It's close to, though. It's like probably at least uh, seven eight months so yeah it's it's crazy so uh, it, uh, thinking back on some of the earlier episodes there's always that podcaster in you that wants to like go back and like change some of the earlier ones and stuff like that because we've gotten better at what we do but <laughs> hey, it's okay you, if you guys have been sticking it with us this long I really appreciate you thank you so much for putting up with uh, me I know I know uh, Ashley's like the the best uh, part of this show, so thank oh, you so no, much for that. no, <laughs>
1: Hey, look there there are moments where I get done speaking and I'm like, I don't know if that was my best, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> so I just pray that people focus on God and not me. That's right.
0: <laughs> Anyways, we are at chapter 50 and uh, this is a really cool chapter. Uh, I was also talking with someone we just got done with a church event here that Ashley actually taught. Um, but uh, I was talking with someone after Ashley's teaching session and uh, uh, they were just telling me how much they love this chapter, and um, they're really right. This chapter has a lot of really awesome one-liners. Uh, I love some of the. There are there are some verses that I've seen like, you know, taken out of context and like put on walls and things like that. I'm like, eh, like you know, the full context of that, you know, like it, it has different meaning than what it's kind of being conveyed on your bumper sticker on your car. But, um, in this chapter in particular, there are some verses here that I honestly think you could just like straight lift and put on a bumper sticker. And it's, uh, it would, it would hold up um it's really cool uh, verse four in particular um for me at least is one of the most meaningful verses and we'll talk about why that is for me um and yeah there's just some really cool stuff in this chapter for context sake um if this is your first episode tuning in or um if you've been going along and just need a little bit of a refresher um, we are in a kind of a new section where god is kind of the primary speaker and god is really um Displaying his heart more so in this section. In the first um, section of chapter, really from chapter uh, 40 all the way through 48, God was more of a trial judge kind of person, kind of showing how Israel it's wrong in judging him from abandoning them and several things. And so all of that is really God kind of pointing out their logical fallacies and how inaccurate they're being and not trusting in him and things like that. This section here after chapter 48, um, is more focused on God kind of encouraging them and showing them that he hasn't abandoned them. And that, um, he's really, really still loves them, I think. And uh, we get to see uh, a little bit more of his heart as far as how much he still... Loves these people, how much um, he kind of grieves with them. And we get to see some new things that he's planning on doing with a servant that keeps coming up. And I, we talked about it originally how the servant kind of repre- represents um, Cyrus in their time period. But a lot of these verses also get mapped on to the story of Jesus in the New Testament. And uh, this is a definite example of this. This is also kind of the closest we get in Isaiah to a, another passage in scripture in the book of Psalms. Um, there's a psalm in particular, Psalm 22, um, that this uh, chapter is basically kind of mirroring in a lot of ways, especially in verses 5 and through 7 a little bit. Um, there's a lot of kind of the same language that's used in Psalm 22 as in this chapter. So it's really cool um, to get this view of the servant, and uh, it's kind of broken up into three different um sections basically the first section is from the perspective of God um, looking down at the people of Israel and he gives a um, kind of an interesting sort of a critique of some of the things that they've been saying once again kind of typical of this entire section and then from chapters 4 through chapters 9 we have a section that is speaking from the servant that I've been mentioning and this is all told from the servant's point of view so we get what the servant is saying. And then in this last section, uh, we return to um, the speaker being the Lord. And the Lord really sums up a lot of this uh, chapter and a lot of the elements in this chapter by uh, sort of giving a warning, which is kind of uh, fun to read. Uh, hopefully that's an um, easy map for what we're going to be jumping into with this whole chapter. Ashley, did you have any uh, any thoughts before we jump into this? No, that's it. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. <laughs> This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce? With which I sent her away. Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins, you were sold. Because of your transgressions, your mother was sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dried up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth its covering. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame he who vindicates me is near who then will bring charges against me let us face each other who is my accuser let him confront me it is the sovereign lord who helps me who will condemn me they will all wear out like a garment the moths will eat them up who among you fears the lord and obeys the word of his servant let the one who walks in the dark who has no light trust in the name of the lord and rely on their god but now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze this is what you shall receive from my hand you will lie down in torment all right so uh, we open this chapter up with a sort of a, a Basic update in this chapter uh, showing us that this is a new section by giving us this uh, first line, this is what the Lord says. Uh, And then we jump into a new oracle um, straight away. Um, Again, we still have this sort of... uh, really cool language that's more from the feminine side. Uh, We're seeing uh, sort of God speak from a lot of uh, just uh, different things that women would have to go through in this particular time period. So we start with um, a certificate of divorce that's been handed to a mother, um, which would have been a very common thing, unfortunately, during their time. And he uses that analogy as a way to tell the uh, people of Israel, um, did their mother, did their mothers collectively, basically, did they get like one giant certificate of divorce from me, from God? Did I divorce Israel basically? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, his obvious answer is sort of, this is a rhetorical question in a lot of ways. His obvious answer is no, he mm-hmm. didn't just give them a certificate of divorce and say, I'm done with you. Um, he follows that up with another example of creditors that, um, he sold them to, which again, the rhetorical answer is no, he didn't sell them to creditors. Um, and then follows it up with kind of a explanation of what did happen, which is, um, they didn't get sold to creditors. They just got sold because their sins were, uh, basically too, uh, like awful. Like they, there's no other word than just to say that they were a people that was hurting other people. And so it wasn't that he was, Filing for divorce because he didn't want to deal with them anymore, or selling them off to creditors because he was in debt, or any type of thing like Mm -hmm. that. It was that they themselves had built up their own debt, and they had built up such a um, animosity between him and uh, them that, like, there was no he had no choice but to send them away. And so that's the point he makes at the very end: is that um, it wasn't that he like did this. Uh, for like the normal societal reasons that you would do this. This was a very extreme situation that again is mainly on the fault of these people um, and has nothing to do with uh, God being unjust and that was probably what they were uh, labeling against God was that you were you basically divorced us or you sold us or those types of things. And yeah, God again is having to defend himself in this moment saying, no, no, you, you you guys were the ones that messed up here. Um, (laughs)
1: yeah and good
0: no no, you're good you're good
1: no but i guess that kind of reminds me of the idea of being credit creditors and being sold away that even when we you know screwed up and we caused ourselves to be given away that god still redeemed us back and it kind of reminded me of the situation between boaz and ruth and how boaz could not have ruth because there was a redeemer who was rightfully supposed to redeem her mm. but he wanted the he wanted the land that she owned but he really didn't want her because that would mess up his inheritance so he was like well i'll take her and i'll take the land so he he you know, takes the shoe and the shoe, the exchange of that shoe was like, this is this signifying that Ruth was going to belong to Boaz. And it kind of reminded me of that's what God does. Cause it kind of reminds me of that parable also in the New Testament where it talks about the kingdom of heaven. is like a man who went and buried um, a treasure in that field, but he buys the entire field. He doesn't just get the treasure. He buys the entire field. You know, that field is filled up with dirt and all that different things. And it's, it symbolizes all the things you don't want, but there's still a treasure there. Yeah. And so it was kind of like this idea that, There are people or situations that you get put in where people want to part of you but they don't want all of you because all of you was kind of messy and so it's like the idea that God was willing to go and redeem them back wholly despite the mess that they caused upon themselves like as it just reminded me of that
0: yeah yeah no uh, this is probably really confusing to you if you've never read the book of Ruth before (laughs) but uh, in that time period they would uh, uh, finish off a contract by exchanging shoes which is not a thing we do today but um, I've always thought that would be a very interesting way to like walk in to a bank and take off your nike shoe and uh, hand it and that's that that's your signal that uh that uh, we're done deal here <laughs>
1: right <laughs> i just think it's just so beautiful and wholesome that god wants all of you mm. like he doesn't just want the part the parts that are good and useful but he wants all of you because even the, the things that you think are useless or the people the things that people tell you are useless about you are the th- very things that god uses To bring other people into the kingdom of heaven. I just think that's such a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, it really is. It really is. And we continue in that with verse 2, how um, there's this really sadness to God in this when uh, he says, when I did come to see the people, why was there no one? Also, by the way, this is a call to Genesis 3, because when they... uh, uh, sin in the Garden of Eden, he comes and they're hiding in bushes. And this is a callback to the fact that the people of Israel are repeating the sin of Adam and Eve in this sense by uh, when he came, there's no one around. And when he called, no one answered. Um, just just a cool little link there that I figured I'd throw in there just, just for fun. Um, but yeah, that's the idea of uh, like they're basically recreating the sin that was the original first sin. And, uh, he then follows that up, um, saying, yeah, you, you didn't answer when I called. And, uh, so we're really on the outs here. Um, but he follows it up with, it's not, I didn't like abandon you because I'm powerless. You know, like I can do a lot of cool stuff. I can, um, dry up the sea, which is a reference back to, uh, the Red Sea. Um, and he can turn rivers into, into deserts and, um, basically make fish rot for lack of water and dying of thirst right um and even like he can make the sun go dark which is something that happens in joshua mm-hmm. uh and make sat uh sackcloth like it's covering basically so that you can't see outside that's might also be a reference to um the ninth plague in yeah. egypt mm-hmm. um but those two things uh like yeah, Joshua. Sorry, that was that was wrong. The uh, Joshua story is he makes the sun stand still. He doesn't make it go black. So disregard that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, um, definitely ninth plague of Israel, and it's really cool how he basically gives this front warning of like. Not warning per se, but just defense of who he is and why they've gotten themselves into the situation. And if you've been tuning into the podcast enough, you know this is kind of what he starts with. What's crazy is this middle section, which sort of breaks from that. We'll get back to a little bit more of his defense and warnings at the very end. But this middle section here, we switch to um, that servant of the Lord that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Again, this can be Cyrus. This can also be Jesus. And this can sometimes even represent the whole people of Israel, um, depending on what context you're reading in. So you really have to pay attention. In this case, I definitely think there's a lot more uh, emphasis on Jesus in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll see that uh, as we get through it. But um, the verse I really wanted to talk about, kind of what I started this whole thing off on is verse four, which I'll just read um, again just so you guys have it in your mind. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. What's really crazy about this is just I don't think we ever like pray. Well, we sometimes do, but it's very, I think it's something that only pastors do because we're really, you know terrified sometimes of Mm -hmm. like saying a a wrong word from scripture but this is for everybody too like this is a a, a, the idea is that uh in this the servant has been given a tongue that knows exactly what to say that encourages a person that's just tired Mm -hmm. you know and um you know that in in particular is just uh you could like take that verse and if you're like a chaplain or a counselor or something that should become like your life verse because like uh your job basically is to like help sustain the weary and um you know it's crazy to think about sometimes because i think we think of jesus sometimes in in this new testament as someone that kind of rubbed people the wrong way you know like made Mm -hmm. people angry and things like that and a lot of his words like uh, tend to be things that you have to kind of wrestle with, you know, and, like, you have to reckon with. And uh, there are morals and rules you have to follow. And, like, a lot of his words and things like that don't necessarily feel uh, like that. But... Um, there is a whole other element to that that I don't think gets talked about a lot, um, versus where he says like, "Come to me, my yoke is weary, uh, and my burden is light." You know, um, um, the many times that he uh, performs a miracle for someone that is uh, really struggling and has been overlooked by virtually everybody in their society, right? Like, there's a lot of times where he will speak into that situation and give them a word that also ends up typically like with a miracle attached to it as well like his word has that like creative aspect in the same way that like when god speaks in genesis 1 things miraculously happen right like it's that same type of thing with jesus where uh he will speak and uh miracles start popping up left and right you know and it's that kind of thing that i think is Getting foreshadowed here in verse four, where you know your word is just so powerful. It's that it's that uh, there is a Gentile soldier that really understood this verse. I think, even though he probably never read it, but he understood the the meaning underneath it. Which is, um, there's a story in the New Testament if you guys don't know of a servant who one of his like dear um, servants under him uh, is very ill, and so he runs to Jesus from his like city and town, um, asking Jesus to heal his servant. But he says, uh, I don't need you to come back. I don't need you to lay your hand on him. Merely speak the word, and he will get healed. Um, And Jesus is overwhelmed by this guy's faith, that he just doesn't even need Jesus to be present for the event. Mm -hmm. Jesus can just speak, and it'll sustain the weary right like Mm -hmm. that's that's I think what's underneath that faith is a really belief in this servant being able to do that so I, I don't know that for me there's a lot in this verse that just resonates with me as also a pastor as someone that's like trying to speak words that sustain the weary and like trying to follow in Jesus's footsteps I don't uh, I don't foresee myself speaking in miracles happening, but I do foresee myself like, you know, trying to help the weary in whatever way I can. And uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's something to just keep in mind as like, uh, yeah, a, a verse that you keep uh, really close to your heart. Um, sorry, that's way too long of a thing to go on one verse. Uh, yeah, I, th- this, th- I thought
1: that was good. I mean, it kind of reminded me of what we talked about um Last week, not on this podcast, we Mm -hmm. were having a conversation during a teaching that you were doing and talked about how prophets are supposed to encourage and edify and comfort. And I think a lot of people forget that that's what prophets are supposed to be doing. Like, yeah, they can, you know, pronounce judgment or predict the future or speak hard truths. But at the end of the day, that is also the core of what they're supposed to be doing is encouraging, edifying and comforting people. Because when you're speaking the word of the Lord, it's supposed to come from the heart you know out of love because even i think it was like was it first or second corinthians where it talks about how like if you prophesy but don't have love in your heart then you're nothing but a noisy symbol is that it yeah yeah And so it's like the idea that you speak out of love at all times because these are you know god's people or even if they're not necessarily a person of god but god is wanting to speak to them because he loves them so you never want anyone to turn away from god because of a word that you're speaking you want to bring them closer to him because of what you're saying so
0: yeah no that's great to uh, remind me of my own thoughts a week ago <laughs> 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 but uh yeah so we're uh What's really interesting is uh, he talks for a couple verses, which we just don't have time to get into, but he talks for a couple verses of how he's um, not been like the rest of the people of Israel. Um, The servant hasn't been, at least, he hasn't been rebellious, he hasn't turned away. Um, And then in verse six, we get to sort of the Psalm 22 bit of this whole Mm -hmm. section where um, he starts describing how a situation where uh, apparently because he's been following after God, um, people have been beating him and pulling out his beard and mocking and spitting him on him. And uh, he's been undergoing this type of persecution for following after God and not being rebellious. Um, there's a lot of tie-ins to uh, Jesus's crucifixion here. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much the only one that doesn't directly translate as the pulling out the beard um we don't have anything in any of the gospels that indicates that that happened but uh every other event happens at the crucifixion um and uh what's interesting is in this section in this whole uh second part of the section at least starting in verse seven um uh he takes this really powerful but also hard truth that um he isn't being disgraced in this situation, even though he's undergoing all of this um, really horrendous punishment from people around him. Um, he knows that the sovereign, uh, that Lord is gonna, the God is gonna help him, and uh, so he sets his face like flint, which I've always thought is a really cool description. Like uh, most of the time, we say like we are. Uh, we set our face like stone or something like that. Our face goes cold or something like that. But here it's set his face like flint because flint's so hard. Um, it's like one of the hardest rocks. Um, and uh, a verse that's really hard for me just because I tend to, uh, I am uh, Enneagram 4 and we're in the shame triad. But um, uh, he says in the very end of this is I will not, I know I will not be put to shame. He is so confident in God and in God's uh really eventual justice i think eventual setting everything right Mm -hmm. that he's not even put to shame for all of these people mocking and spitting on him and you know he just takes it you know sort of like rocky (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah that's 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 a point that like uh uh, for me, at least is really hard because that's I'm not that type of person. Um, but it's something that's really inspiring and something to really uh, call yourselves to, um, especially for us twos, threes, and fours on the Enneagram. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, after that, oh, well, sorry, Ashley, did you have anything on that before we moved on? or
1: oh, um, I was thinking of something about um about Satan and how he's the accuser of the brethren, how he often goes to God. And accuses us and a lot of things that he says, I mean, could technically be true, but even so, it's like we're, we're vindicated, you know, because it kind of reminds me of Romans 8, Romans 8, I believe, where it talks about, you know, who can condemn us, you know, mm-hmm. so it's sort of like the idea. And it also reminds me of I think it was in Zechariah when Satan is accusing the nation of Israel before um, God. And I think Zechariah is standing there. And I could be wrong as Zechariah when he's standing there and God clothes him in all white.
0: I think that is yeah. So it's
1: like Satan is accusing. Um, the nation of Israel and Zechariah is sort of standing there representing the nation of Israel and so God basically rebukes Satan and then he takes this white clothing and this white turban and he puts it on it um, Zechariah to represent the nation of Israel and how they've been washed of their sins well, even yeah. when when Satan is accusing us of things that we have done it's like we've been vindicated you know not because we're perfect because God knows that we're not but it's the idea that we've been covered in the blood of the Lamb so our sins are already covered so it's like who can accuse us you know so that's what it kind of reminds me of
0: yeah 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 and that's basically what he talks about in these last two verses so i think he basically s- summed all that up he even uh, talks about how the people that are accusing uh are going to have their garments wear out and the moths will eat all of their garments essentially um which is a really uh interesting kind of ending to that whole thing um After that, there's a break, and we get back to the perspective of God, um, who then basically gives a call to all of Israel. And this is sort of like kind of that uh, challenge to end this whole oracle section. Um, He says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Once again, it's that emphasis of obedience and fearing. Uh, And then he has this interesting thing where he talks about how Um, people that are walking in dark will trust in the name of the Lord and rely on God but the people that have light um, they get to walk in the light of their own torches and flames but they're eventually going to lie down in torment um, and it's this really chilling segment where you kind of left really trying to meditate on this, like what's going on here, um, especially after all of what's going above. I think a lot of this is sort of futuristic predictions of Jesus's culture in the first century, for one, um, where a lot of the Jews at that time period had lights of their own and thought that they had things figured out, mm-hmm. thought that they understood how scripture was to be read and uh how scripture was to be followed and then jesus comes along and begins to like upend a lot of their scriptural interpretations um sometimes claiming that some of the things he's saying are scripture um you know just doing things that like really for people that already have this thing figured out um is very uncomfortable and uh and in the very ends, like they go so far as to uh, decide that Jesus is too dangerous to let live, and they mm-hmm. decide to end his life. You know, and that results in a lot of torment happening uh, on the Jew, uh, the Jews as a nation, um, on them in specific. Um, a lot of uh, judgment from God happens as a result of that. That's something that Peter gets into in Acts two, actually. Um, is just how. At fault, the specifically the people of um, the Jewish people are because they're the ones that killed Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot there of just how they were driven by their own lights and their own fires. When the rest of um, something that doesn't get brought up a lot in Jesus's teaching is that a lot of the followers of Jesus were people in the area of Galilee, which, if you remember, way back in the Isaiah stuff. Um, It talks about how uh, that area is Naphtali and uh, Zebulun, um, which in one of the, I think it's chapter 9 of Isaiah, it says um, Naphtali will see a great light. Um, And it's referencing Jesus being a light to those Gentile nations, essentially those Gentile areas um, where Gentiles and Jews were kind of intermixing with one another. And in the first century, at least, a lot of the followers of Jesus, while they were Jews, they were in and amongst Gentile areas. And uh, a lot of them were looked down upon by the people in Jerusalem. And uh, a lot of them also were the ones, you know, it's always brought up that like uh, the people that uh, shouted Hosanna, Hosanna were the very same people that crucified him Mm -hmm. like a week later. That's actually not true because um, if you read very closely in that passage, the people that are shouting Hosanna Hosanna are all the people in Galilee and Mm -hmm. at the very like fringes of the country that all rush in and form this whole procession for him into Jerusalem. And the people that kill him are actually in the city of Jerusalem. They're like the actual people that live in the city. Um, And there's a very big difference between the people of Galilee that Jesus has been basically like uh, walking with and talking with and they've been like moving their, tents and stuff along with them and mm-hmm. forming 5,000 like feeding 5,000 of them and things like that versus the people that actually lived in Jerusalem. That's a long explanation just to get to the point of uh in that time period, at least this, uh, uh, the uh, people in Jerusalem very much went by their own lights and went by their own sort of ways of understanding. And it's a warning for us today too. It's like yeah. if we get to the point where we think we understand everything going on without listening to the words of jesus and listening to the way that jesus lived and and really resonating with that we we can be in that same danger of uh walking by our own light instead of uh walking in darkness and allowing god to lead us through that darkness um which is the more uh right way to do it so yeah sorry that was a long way to get to there but yeah that's it's me <laughs> no,
1: that's a good point
0: all right well uh thank you so much guys for listening and uh we will be back in your feed again next week thanks guys all
1: right bye <laughs>